Let us pray. Silence in us now any voice but your own, gracious God. And into that silence, speak your word of grace and hope and truth. That we may praise you, our gracious Master, and proclaim the glories of your name. For Christ's sake, amen. Our epistle lesson for this morning will begin at the fourth verse of the 12th chapter of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. I know many of you do, but this morning, especially if you'd care to follow along, it's found on page 174 of the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Let us hear God's word. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the work of prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The whole body were an eye. Where would the hearing be? The whole body we're hearing. Where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, 
that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then deeds of healing, forms of assistant, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as Becky has told us already, this past Friday night and most of the day on Saturday, the three boards of Third Church, the Session and the Board of Deacons and the Board of Trustees, spent time in retreat, taking a kind of a step back to think collectively and creatively about what's new and what's next for our ministry and life together. We focused on that word, new, reflecting on God's promise to do a new thing, God's promise to make all things new. Those biblical affirmations go to a much deeper place than even a church's vision, the renewal of our lives, the renewal of creation. Yet they also remind us what we know, that any institution, any organization, whether it be a family or a not-for-profit or a business or a church, must evolve and adapt and change if it's going to survive let alone thrive. That's the Rochester business story, I believe, or as far as I understand it. And it's true for the church as well. A few years back, I helped to found an unofficial Presbyterian organization called Next Church with a simple premise that if there is to be a next church, we must presume that it cannot be like the this church let alone the last and the past church that once was. History and legacy are important as providers of inspiration and direction, but they hinder us when they turn into nostalgia and sentimentality. Martin Marty once quipped that the seven deadly words of the church are, we've always done it that way before. And I think he's right. God is about doing a new thing in our lives and in the life of the world, so certainly that has to be true for the life of the church. The question is, how do we perceive that new thing that God is doing? I've been thinking about this as well, as we think about stewardship and nominating, as we get ready for our annual meeting, as we prepare to welcome the Presbytery again to our house how similar to other entities the church can look on the surface. A board of a not-for-profit or a PTA or an alumni council or the like. Many of you serve on such boards. I do. They matter to the life of our community. We Presbyterians believe in 
very permeable lines when it comes to the community's life. We believe that God works in all places, in all ways, for good. Yet a church is different. It has a different starting place and a different ending place. Last Sunday, in the midst of Snowpocalypse 2019, we read the first portion of chapter 12 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. And I thought it worth reading again today, or most of it anyway, along with this second part of the well-known chapter 12. In fact, if you're up for it, it's worth finding and tracking as we work through it. Not quite, but almost an old-school Bible study this morning. It's on page 174. Paul is writing to a brand new church that is trying to figure out how to be the church. How to live together, coming from different backgrounds and different religious traditions. Lots of difference and diversity all over the place. This church needs encouragement. Paul gives them something far more valuable than bylaws or a constitution or a strategic plan. Gives them a vision of faith. He tells them that there is a variety of gifts among them. And there are varieties of ways to serve. You can see what that looks like in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 12 and a variety of activities in verse 6. But variety is not the ultimate point. Unity is. And the unity is not our doing, but God's doing. Because it's the same God who activates all of these gifts in everyone, each of them, each of us, all of us given gifts, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In verse 8 and following, Paul outlines what those gifts are, wisdom and knowledge, what we might call teaching and learning, faith, healing. Then there are things like miracles and interpretation that we might not fully understand or embrace now, but we get the point. A variety of gifts given by the Spirit. And in verse 11, Paul insists, so we must insist, that the same Spirit gives us all of these gifts. Now that will look differently. In Rochester and Third Church in 2019, gifts of serving and caring and teaching and leading or advocating or organizing, the point is the same. All have gifts. Each of us has gifts, not of our own making, but of the Spirit's. And we are called to share them for the common good. Paul continues with language that underscores how a church is different than any other thing, how service here is different. The diversity of gifts we receive is like a body with different parts. But all of those parts function together in unity to make the body complete. And even that unity is achieved not because of our own capacities or our own credentials. It's achieved through baptism. Baptism of all things. It begins with baptism. And everything flows from there. 
Look at verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul follows with a long exposition of how the body works. It's humorous if you think about it. But in the language itself, there is an elegance, a profound quality. I've used it in teaching in the seminaries as we think about the various roles of session or deacons or trustees or even presbyteries and synods and general assemblies. Around here, as we think about the interconnectedness of various groups like the choir or ushers or Sunday school teachers or dining room ministry volunteers, all are needed to make this body what it is. I use that language in our denomination's ordination debates. How the right needs the left and the left needs the right. And I'm sad to say that message was often lost as we plowed through debate after debate and vote after vote. And yet there it is, in all its beauty, after Paul gives us a little anatomy lesson to hear in verses 24 and 25, God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Paul, the great rhetorician, loops back to where he started, unity and diversity, diversity and union, and a variety of gifts that focus to a singleness of mission. In verse 27, he shares what might be the most compact church mission statement there is, a very easily remembered elevator speech. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And then if we missed it, there's another list of callings. We can't be all these things, just like we can't all be legs or arms or eyes or ears. But when we each pursue our roles and nurture our gifts and offer them to the community and offer them to God, the church functions well and its mission is advanced Good news is shared. God is glorified. Paul calls it a still more excellent way. What does that look like? In just a few minutes, we'll share a portion of the Presbyterian Church's brief statement of faith. So as long as we're working through texts this morning, let's do the same with the brief statement written in the 1980s when the southern and northern factions of the Presbyterian Church were coming together after 120 years, shame on us for dividing over slavery and shame on us for taking so long to get back together. The brief statement sought to create common language for this new church. The Holy Spirit section is my favorite. It echoes Paul's Corinthians language we are bound together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the church. 
So the church is all those other things, an organization, an institution, with all the things those things have. But it is first and last and always this, the body of Christ. The body of Christ formed by baptism. That identity forms our mission. The brief statement reminds us then of what we are called to do. Look at all those wonderful verbs in that paragraph, says the English teacher's son. The the Spirit's activity, our activity, inspires, rules, engages, claims, feeds, then calls. That one line, calls, was controversial then in the 1980s. Not all of our church partners believe that. Even now, calls women and men to all ministries of the church. And thankfully, in the 21st century, that affirmation has expanded even more so. It's how we understand the Spirit to work. It was important to say then and now. So that's what the Spirit does. What are we to do? Again, there are more fabulous verbs. Pray, witness, Unmask, hear, work. My favorite line is this. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing. And when we pray without ceasing, who knows by the grace of God what might happen. So that's not about elevator speech either. And it can be a profound vision statement. So, friends, as we live into the next church, as we together seek to perceive the new thing that God is doing, we do cling to some bedrock principles. The Spirit empowers us. We are all part of the same body. We are all given gifts to share, and all of those gifts are needed without question and without exception. Remember all those things. The results will never be perfect. We are human after all. In thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. last week, I ran across a little notion it was good enough to put on this morning's bulletin cover. Don't be afraid to defend the church where necessary, King said. Certainly the church is not perfect. It has often stood in the way of social and scientific progress. But in spite of its errors, I would hate to see what the world would be like without it. I would hate to see what the world would be like without it. I agree. Amen.